0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. We're going to be um, looking at the topic of the sovereignty of God this morning, um, which is a huge topic. Is that how you spell it? Can we try again? Is that how you spell it? Can we try again? Is that it? Uh, again? Is that it? Is that it? I can't remember now, I'm confused. <laughs> the reason I did this, it doesn't matter how many times I write this word down, I spell it wrong, and then get this. Do you know what? Your spell check doesn't know the word sovereignty. So even when you get it right, it underlines it as if it's wrong. But this is a word that the church really does need to know, the sovereignty of God. So we're going to look at that this morning. Um, When my wife and I first started trying for kids, we naively assumed that it would be instant, okay, that it would just happen. And after eight months of trying very hard, the novelty of coming home to your wife, wanting to tear your clothes off you just wore off oh, uh, actually that's not true it didn't okay it didn't almost okay, almost wore off but but seriously, um, after nine months of trying, you start to think, will we ever have biological children? Should we adopt? will we adopt god does God want us to adopt and it was quite a quite a uh, a difficult beginning, but in month nine, thank God, we fell pregnant. Um, I say we, it was actually Nikki, but I had a lead role, so we say we, you know, it's just nice. And uh, we were unbelievably grateful to God. Of course, he always was in control, but my little sister had a different story. Her and I are very close, and her and her husband had already been trying for five years to fall pregnant when we fell pregnant with our third. And I'll never forget how hard it was for me to phone her and tell her, Tracy, we're pregnant. Nick and I are pregnant again. Because we had this joyful thing we wanted to bring, but the challenge of a sister I was very close to is going through this struggle and treatments and all kinds of things. And thank God, after six years of trying, they eventually fell pregnant And of course, everyone was excited and very grateful to God because He always was in control. And when they looked back, they would say they could never question His faithfulness and His goodness. Isaiah 46 verse 9 says this, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. The sovereignty of God, guys, is an absolutely huge doctrine. At its most basic, it says that God is the supreme authority over all things, He's the king with a capital king of all kings with a small k. And nothing which surprises us, like not being able to fall pregnant, surprises him. Nothing which worries us, like maybe not being out of work, worries him. And nothing which rocks our world, even things that are harder and tougher than that, rock his world. So we're going to look at the sovereignty of God this morning. And I just want to pray for God to help me and for the Holy Spirit to come and work this into our hearts. Father God, we're just so grateful to you for your word teaches us, guides us, leads us in truth. We're grateful to you, Holy Spirit of God, for opening truth to us. Without you this would all be dead to us. But this morning I want to pray, Holy Spirit, won't you make it alive to us, life-changing to us, comforting to us, faith-building to us? And I ask it in your name Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're going to look at five things this morning. Firstly, God is sovereign over the universe. And when I say that, I mean He's He's the creator, He's the owner, He's the ruler, He's the sustainer, upholder of everything in the universe. If we kind of go back to before it all began, it's hard for our minds to comprehend, but there was absolutely nothing, but God was there. So there's absolutely nothing, but there's God. And then He made everything. Psalm 102 verse 25 says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Isaiah 44, verse 24. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth, get this, by myself. I love that. God wants us to know this. He wants us to, he could have just said, I spread out the earth. He says, I spread out the earth by myself. Psalm 121, verse 2. This is Israel during their years of difficulty and struggle when they're in hard times. They say, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. They found a comfort in knowing that God is sovereign over the universe. But God didn't just create it all. He also owns it all. Psalm 89, 11 says, The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it. God himself says to Job in chapter 41, who has first given to me that I should repay him? He knows the answer already. He's not looking for advice. The answer is no one. Then he says, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Jesus upholds the universe By the word of his power. That's all of it, guys. You know, I I find it quite humorous that scientists are still discovering new things every day. Okay, these very, very clever men. Things that aren't known to us. I remember when I was in university, Time magazine, in one year, had two lead articles that claimed where the first men came from. And they're completely separate places of the world. We're discovering new things every day and Jesus upholds it all by the universe, upholds the universe by the word of his power. So the bits that we know, the bits that we don't know, the bits that we're still discovering, they're going to be bits of the universe we never discover. Jesus upholds it all. It's all completely dependent on his power, not only just for its creation, but also for his, its existence. Revelations 4, 11 says this. This is John, his revelation he had of heaven. He says that the elders and the creatures in heaven fall down before God saying, worthy are you our Lord and God. Why? For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. I love this verse in Nehemiah 9 verse 6. It says, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made the heaven, you have made heaven The heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. So, firstly, what we see about the sovereignty of God is that He's sovereign over the universe. Secondly, God is sovereign over time. The psalmist in Psalm 69, verse 13, says, um, this, as for me, my prayers to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. There's an acceptable time to God that he answers our prayers because he's sovereign over time. Isaiah 49:8. thus says the Lord, in a favorable time I have answered you. It's kind of God just reaffirming what the psalmist had said. Isaiah 60, verse 22, The smallest one will become a clan and the least one a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. And then Psalm 31, verse 15, I love this. The psalmist says this My times are in your hands. Guys, your times are in his hands. He holds them in his hands. You might say, Well, which times, Wayne? Well, I would say these ones. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 says, For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, time to be born a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. My times are in your hands. All of these, all of this, God rules over all of them. Whatever time or stage of life you're in, whether it's a time of struggling to fall pregnant or falling pregnant or having children, whether it's a time of unemployment or employment or promotion, whatever time you're in, my times are in your hands, Lord. God is sovereign over all time. It's not that he wakes up in the morning and it's a surprise to him. Oh, I didn't know that John was unemployed. No, not at all. Our times are in his hands. Thirdly, Not only are times in in His hands, but God is the ultimate cause of everything. Absolutely everything. Psalm 139 verse 15 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Then get you this. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Every one of them written in God's book before they even came to existence. And it's not just that he's writing, you know, this is a boring diary, you know, Monday, April the 1st, Tuesday, April the 2nd. No, there's detail in there of your life and what happens in it. God is sovereign over all things. And that includes that he rules, and this this possibly is where it becomes more difficult. That includes that God rules completely over the good and the bad. God is sovereign over good and bad. Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose. Some, Some translations say, for his purpose. Even the wicked for the day of trouble. Lamentations 3.37 says, Who has spoken it and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Do you know, right down to this detail, Proverbs 16.33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Do you know what that means? It means when you draw the short straw, you know the drawing of the short straw, the lot is cast into the lap. It was a gamble. When you draw the short straw, hey, kids, I've got three kids. We're going to draw straws. Who needs to pick up the dog pee today? Okay, God knows already who's going to be doing it. You can't complain, okay? God was even over this one. But that's true. That's what Proverbs tells us, that even the lot that is cast into the lap, its decision is the Lord's. God is sovereign over our thinking and our actions. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And God is sovereign over the things that interact with our lives. So here's our life, then there are things that come from the side or head on that interact with our lives. God is sovereign over them. Scripture tells us that Jonah got swallowed by a huge fish, right? This is what it says, Jonah 1, 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So everything everything is at God's direction and command and Him being over it. God is sovereign over our hearts. Even the hearts are, are the thinking in our hearts. We know in the book of Exodus, where Moses is going to Pharaoh to try and convince him to let God's people go, Scripture tells us, it tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart. It tells us that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And eight times it tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. say, so, but which one is true? when I say, yes they're all true. But ultimately, the one that is over it all, the ultimate cause is God. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Imagine just scooping up some water in your hand and uh, enough that you can see how it turns in your hand that easy. That's God directing the hearts of kings. So, some scriptures are very clear about God's sovereignty, others just imply it. When Rachel can't fall pregnant, she, literally in Genesis 30, she shouts at Jacob, Give me children or I'm gonna die. And Jacob's response is this What am I, God, who's causing you not to fall pregnant? There's an assumption here. God rules over everything the giving of children or the not giving of children, God rules over it. Jesse, David's father, sends him with food to his brothers who are at war. And we see that David obeys. He listens to his father. David gets up. David walks. We don't know how far it walked, David arrives. David took all of the action. Later on, we see that King Saul summons David to come and play the harp for him when he's being tormented by an evil spirit. We see again, David obeys, David gets up, David goes, and eventually David becomes king. There's clear action in what, in David, in what he's doing that he takes responsibility, but God says this to, to David, 2 Samuel 7 verse 8, I took you from the pastor that you should be prince over my people. I took you. Guys, it's God who grants rest. It's God who, Deuteronomy 8 tells us, gives you the power to get wealth. It's God who gives us skills and talents. God knows how many hairs are on our head. For some people, that's easier than for others. I'm not going to mention any names, okay? <laughs> you might have studied hard, Yes. You might have got a bursary, you might have worked long, hard hours for your success, but absolutely not without God ruling over it and granting it to you. I'd say, who ultimately is orchestrating your life? I've got good news for you, it's not big brother. Every single yes you've received, every letter of commendation, every job offer, every exam you passed, every debt that was canceled or paid off, every increase you've had, every morning you've woken up healthy, every time you've even remembered something was all because God is sovereignly at work. He knows. He ordains. He watches over. He gives permission. He works. He acts. He leads. He intervenes. He guides. Ironically, every job you didn't get Every F, talking about grades here, not your language, okay? (laughs) Every debt that is owed, every time you were sick, is also God sovereignly at work. Let's pause for that one. Isaiah 45 verse 7 says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. The evil spirit I was speaking about was Saul, where the evil spirit tormented him. 1 Samuel 16 and 18 tells us it was God who sent him the evil spirit. 1 Kings 22, God puts a lying spirit in the mouths of his prophets. Go read it, 1 Kings. Chapter 22, it's God who puts a lying spirit into the mouth of his prophets. What that means, guys, is the sovereignty of God isn't a prosperity message. Suffering is very real. Suffering in this life is real, but over every dot of the universe and in every situation of life, nothing is outside of God's control. We can see that in Scripture. You know, even when when Judas betrays Jesus, you'd have to, well, how is God in control over that? Luke 22 verse 3 tells us that Satan entered the heart of Judas. So clearly, the devil is at work in the betrayal of Jesus. Scripture also tells us that Judas was responsible for complying with it. So there's a responsibility laid at Judas's feet here as well. But ultimately, it's God who rules over all of it. How do we know it? Because in John 10, Jesus says, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Acts 2 verse 23, Peter says this, that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God is in control over it. This is a wonderful comfort to us in times of difficulty, guys. Can you imagine if during trouble and hardship and difficulty, God's hands were tied behind his back, and he, it was not actually him who's in control. He can't, he can't put, a, put an end to evil prospering and us going through difficulty. That would be terrible. It would ultimately mean that the devil is in control. But no, what we see in Scripture is that God rules, but he's got a purpose in everything. In John verse 9, Jesus is asked this question of a blind man. Rabbi, tell us, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? So you'll notice that their question and often our questions fixate on understanding the reason behind things. The answer Jesus gives focuses on the purpose. Jesus says, it was not that this man sinned that he's blind. It isn't that his parents sinned that he's blind but it's that the works of God might be displayed. What this shows is that God rules over difficulty and challenge for a purpose. And that brings me to the next thing we're going to look at in the sovereignty of God. It's that God is sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign over salvation. In the Old Testament, we see that God says Abraham will become a great nation and that all nations would be blessed through that nation. If you carry on reading, you can ultimately see that the, the blessing he's speaking about is the blessing of a Savior that will come for all the nations of the world. And in Genesis 18 verse 19, this is what God says about Abraham. For I have chosen him. You can see he's sovereign over that. Then we know that he chose Isaac, not Ishmael. It was him in control of that. Then he chose Jacob, not Esau. Ezekiel 20 verse 5 says, On the day when I chose Israel. And throughout the Old Testament, we see stories of God choosing to use other nations to help fulfill his plan for Israel. God chooses Moses to lead, and he chooses Aaron to be priest. He chooses skilled workers to build the temple, temple and the Levites to serve in it. He chooses Joshua to lead his people into the promised land, and then he chooses the men that will distribute the land amongst the tribes. He chooses David, not his brothers. Then he chooses the prophets. Then he chooses Mary. Then when Jesus comes to earth, he chose his disciples, and then God chooses us. In Ephesians 1 verse 1, it says, in him, We have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Then what we see in Scripture is God doesn't just make these promises of salvation to His people. The promises need to be worked out. But it actually isn't at the instance of the people that they worked out. It's God who chooses to sovereignly work so that the promises are fulfilled. Jeremiah 31 verse 33, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is God sovereignly at work to bring his salvation plan to pass. And often what that means is it's him being sovereignly at work Working good out of bad. You look at Joseph's story. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. And it's, it's quite an amazing story. Um, he, goes, he goes into Egypt and he becomes a ruler. And through, through becoming a ruler and having favor upon him, he gets to control the food stock for nations that are in famine and his brothers eventually come and it's discovered that actually this guy is in charge is our brother and when that happens they fall in fear knowing what had happened and this is what it says it says that Joseph said do not fear i am in the place of god can you see the sovereignty of god over that i'm in the place of god you meant evil against me but god meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So we've got the same event here. On the one hand, what we've got is fake fake murder. That's what they originally did, okay? uh, An animal's eaten our brother. Then they saw an opportunity. We can make some money from this. Sell the brother into slavery. Go and tell the father that actually he's been killed. This is, on the one hand, evil. You can't call it anything else. Guys, this is not fictitious and picture cartoon stories. This is real people, okay? This is evil at work. But on the other hand, what we see is God preserving a family to keep his plan of a multitude coming from Abraham and without Joseph being sold into slavery, there'd be no Jesus. God is sovereign over his salvation plan. When God appeared to Abraham and Sarah and promised Abraham and Sarah's son, they were very, very old. Like I think they were like nearly 100. And so Sarah laughs. I think many of you ladies, if you're reaching 70 or 80, if someone told you you're going to be pregnant, you would also laugh. Okay? I think it's a natural reaction from Sarah. She laughs at it. But this is what God says. God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's his response. Hey, I'm sovereign over this. Then an angel of God visits Mary, mother of Jesus. She says, how on earth, how on earth am I going to be pregnant when I've been a good girl? And the answer is this again, nothing will be impossible with God. That's what the angel of the Lord says to her. In Matthew 19, this, this conversation about the difficulty of salvation continues. A man came to Jesus, asked him, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you do this, and you do this, and you do this. He basically rattles off the Ten Commandments, and the man says to him, I have done all of these things. And so Jesus says to him, okay, I'll tell you what then, go and sell all your stuff, and come and follow me. And the man can't do it, because he's got lots of stuff. And then Jesus says, I tell you, it's harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, then for a man to be saved, his disciples say, well, then who can be saved? The answer actually is, the way we think about it, no one, but this is Jesus' reply again, nothing will be impossible with God. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Do you know this? If a hundred-year-old Sarah didn't fall pregnant, there'd be no Jesus. And if a young virgin didn't fall pregnant, there'd be no incarnation, and it's impossible for anyone to enter God's kingdom without being born again. But with God, all things are possible, and he's not just sovereign over creation. He's not just sovereign over his people. He's not just sovereign over time. He's also sovereign over his salvation plan. When God provides an heir for Abraham, he's creating a lineage all the way to Jesus, and he's saying this, I am the author of salvation. In supernaturally bringing about the birth of Jesus, he's literally doing the impossible, and he's saying this, you cannot work salvation. And in causing spiritual rebirth in people, he's saying, I rule supremely over every aspect of salvation. You know, you see it even in, when you read the Gospels, you, you, you see Jesus often referring to this thing which he called the hour. My hour has not come. The hour has not yet come. And the hour he's speaking about was that everything built towards the, the, the death, the resurrection, and the exaltation of Jesus. That, that's the hour that he's speaking about. But prior to this hour coming, do you know that nothing could touch the life of Jesus? This is God, sovereign over salvation. John 7 verse 30, they were seeking to arrest him. They, many, were seeking to arrest him. One, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Because God is sovereign over salvation. John 8 verse 20, it says these words he spoke as he taught in the temple. And the words he spoke were offensive to the leaders. And it says, but no one arrested him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. So God is sovereign over salvation. God is also sovereign over the nature of salvation. In John 6 verse 37, this is the nature of salvation. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. This is God the Father ruling over salvation. Chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In John 17, numerous times, Jesus says that he will not lose those that the Father have given to him. Guys, the nature of salvation is that it's God's work. And because of that, God is sovereign even over the certainty of salvation. I love this. This is, this is how we know that. If you, if you truly are saved by God, you're saved. That's it forever. You can't undo the work that God does. Listen to this. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. To me, that sounds like one saved, always saved really sounds like it. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. And just in case you were doubting, he then gives you another hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. God is sovereign over salvation. And ultimately, God is sovereignly working everything. <laughs> the creation of the universe, the history of mankind going forward. God ultimately is working everything towards us. The virgin birth... The obedient life of Jesus, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, the promised return of Jesus Christ, the redemption of his people, judging the world and establishing his kingdom for all eternity. All of God's sovereignty works towards those things. And it's all about God being glorified forever, not just for his plan, but for his power and his will to achieve it. And then us being perfectly happy in him being glorified forever. That is what God is sovereign over. Fifthly, the perfection of God's sovereignty. This is about God's sovereignty and his nature. I said in the beginning, after six years of waiting and praying and waiting and praying and crying and disappointment, my sister and her husband had a son and they really wanted a sibling for him. And so they began again, first just trying by themselves, naturally, and then five years of trying and needles and prodding and poking, and she fell pregnant again. And we were so, everyone was so excited, Nathan's going to have a brother or a sister. But shortly after she fell pregnant, she started bleeding and she miscarried. They still only have one child. And I'll never forget, very shortly after that, standing next to her church one evening, her hands lifted high, tears running down her cheeks as she sang, you give and take away, you give and take away, my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. I'll never, ever forget that. We never, we never spoke about it, but I suspect that her tears were saying, we're not trying anymore, Lord. We said this would be it. But her heart was saying, I know what you're like, and I'm going to continue trusting you. And this fourth point about the perfection of God's sovereignty is very important. Because this is where the rubber hits the road. We've got to know the God that we call to trust in. We've got to know about his nature to be able to trust in his sovereignty. So I'm just going to look at four things very quickly, and then we're going to finish. Firstly, God is all-powerful. You, when, when you're called to trust in the sovereignty of God, you've been called to trust in a God that is all-powerful. Last week at Newlands, the protesters were chasing a fairly easy ODI win at Newlands when, poof, the lights went out. Literally, the floodlights went out. Apparently, it was sponsored by a company called Aishcom. Okay, <laughs> very, very embarrassing. For, forget hosting the World Cup cricket again. Okay, this doesn't do much for your bid. And everyone was powerless, everyone was powerless to do anything about it. But I'll tell you this, God never has power issues. We have to rely on ESCOM and solar energy and power banks, but God is His own power bank in everything He ever does. His power never slips to, oh, it's dropping to 83 and this battery doesn't last very long. You've just got 100% pure God power. And part of God being God is that he sustains his own actions. He sustains the universe. He sustains his redemption plan, which means there's never any limitation on him doing what is good and right and true. It's not like us when we sometimes say, I wish I could do this, but I can't. God doesn't have a sentence like that. He is all-powerful. Jeremiah 32 verse 17 says this, Our Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So the power of a 100-year-old lady to fall pregnant and the power of a 14-year-old virgin to fall pregnant isn't dependent on how God created biology to work. Instead, it's dependent on the one who created biology. God is the source. And so what we find is that Sarah falls pregnant and Mary falls pregnant, and here comes Jesus just as promised. Why? Because the power to fulfill the promise is Him. You know, if you, if you invest in a guaranteed investment, so we're going to guarantee you, you're going to get all your money back at the end, and then someone say, and plus 5%, we're going to guarantee it. The most important question to ask is this, who underwrites the guarantee? Who's giving this guarantee? Because if you read at the bottom, well, it's the, it's the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe. No offense if you're from Zimbabwe, yeah? But you think, actually, I'm not that sure that I will get my money back over here. If it's Lloyd's of London, different story. Hey, maybe I'm a bit more sure over here. Just want to say, whenever there's a promise or anything said by God, it is not the Reserve Bank of Zim who's underwriting the guarantee. It's God himself. So firstly, God is all-powerful. Secondly, God is everywhere. God is everywhere. You know, I bet it was great when you were Springbok to have Bucky's Booter on your team. But when Bucky's Booty is lying under a heap of men 50 meters away, and you're under a huge up and under with three men chasing you down, Bucky's Booty is of absolutely no use to you. It's like having Hulk on your side, but he's in a different room. Hulk only can help you when he's there. God is never limited by space or matter. He's in your room. (laughs) He's in your room. He's in your room. He's in your room. He's in your room. We've got to believe this. When you believe in the sovereignty of God, God is everywhere. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? This is a message translation. To be out of your sight. If I climb the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's winds to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. It's wonderful. Thirdly, about the perfection of God's sovereignty is that he's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. He's never unsure. He never needs to make a guess when he makes a decisions. None of his decisions are ever like a teenage girl trying to decide what to wear on civvies day. Okay, but this one, this one. No, it's not like this. God never has a dilemma. He always knows the right thing to do. He knows the right timing to do it. He knows the right place to do it. God is all-knowing. And finally, God is good all the time and in all things. Psalm 34 says, verse 8 says, I taste and see that the Lord is good. God is good all the time. And what His goodness is about is this, is that at the the very nature of God is that He's perfect love. He is perfect love. And he is holiness. And his sovereignty is always an expression of his goodness and his love and his holiness. Do you know why? Because he cannot separate his actions from his nature. So him being sovereign means that it always is about goodness and love and perfection. Psalm 115 verse 3 tells us that God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. It's 100% true. But praise God, he's only pleased by that which is true to his nature. And so he rules perfectly. What that means is basically we have a God who is perfect in all he does, all he thinks, all he says, in all of his timing, all the time. That's it. We have a God who is perfect in all that he says, all that he does, all that he thinks, all of the time. Every time. And so our understanding of sovereignty, and it has to be a spiritual understanding, our understanding of sovereignty as it grows must result in humility, turning from sin, and worship. It never results in us saying, oh, well, then whatever will be, will be. I want to close with this one thing which I find has helped me through the years, and I believe it. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 that says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Basically what that means is God has revealed more than enough to us to know that he can be fully trusted to perfectly rule over all things. And we can dig deeper into believing all he says about himself so that when we don't understand the death of a loved one, and it will happen. And when we don't understand not being able to fall pregnant, and it will happen. And when we don't understand facing cancer, and it will happen. We can honestly say, God, the secret things belong to you. And I'm okay with that. Because you've revealed what you've revealed about yourself is bigger than my questions. Matt Redmond has a song that says, You are God in heaven, and here am I on earth, so I let my words be few. And I think some, sometimes wonderfully, as we understand the nature of God and His sovereignty, we can increasingly let our words be few. And we let our words be few, not out of fearful obedience, saying, Yes, Master, no, Master, I won't question that. We let our words be few out of a heart of trusting the sovereignty of God and trusting the nature of God. And you might say, So what, Wayne? What are we supposed to do with this? With what you've told us this morning, what are we supposed to do? You could have multiple application points, but I've only got one for today, and it's from Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is my application point, people. Trust God. Trust Him. Trust Him in everything. Sometimes we're better at worrying than we are trusting. I reckon some of you probably have longer worry lists than you have prayer lists. But what we actually have to do is we've got to deliberately dig into the truth of who God is and his promises and trust him. This is where we start. We start with trusting him for forgiveness and salvation. That's the starting point. Jesus, I've sinned. There's no way apart from you, I'm going to trust you for forgiveness and salvation. Trust him with your children. Trust him with your future. Trust him with your finances. Trust him with your spouse. Trust Him for your marriage. Trust Him in good times. Trust Him in hard times. Trust Him in challenging times. Trust Him in the glorious sunshine of God's blessing and favor on your life. Trust Him in the valley of the shadow of death. Trust Him now. Trust Him tomorrow morning. Trust Him when you've got a tough meeting at work. Trust Him for all time. Trust God. you know why? Because He knows what He's doing. He's very good. And He's sovereign over absolutely everything. Can we stand and pray? Sorry, I've been long. If you want to, you can just lift your hands to Him. And I just want you to say in your heart, I trust you, Lord. Just say, I trust you, Lord. And as you say, I trust you, the thing that you've been worrying about the most is going to come to your mind. Just say to him, forgive me, Father God. You know, every time we worry, it's a sign we're trusting in something else. That's the sin. Just say, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for not trusting your promises. Forgive me for not trusting your love. Forgive me for not trusting your perfection. And then say, I choose to trust you now, Jesus. I choose to trust the provision of your son, Jesus. I choose to trust his death for me and my sin I choose to trust that I'm forgiven. I choose to trust that he rose on the third day, victorious over sin and death. I choose to trust that I'm now a new creation. The old man has been put to death. I choose to trust you. And Father God, we just want to say this morning we do. We trust you. Lord, we want to, we want to echo that, that cry of that man in Scripture. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And we thank you that there's grace even for that. But we pray, Lord God, we pray for a greater revelation of who you are, that we would trust you more. And we ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. We ask it in your name, Lord Jesus.